Now, for our reading this evening, we're turning to the Acts of the Apostles and to chapter 18. There we read the account of Paul as he arrives in Corinth. And there in that 18th chapter, we're reading the opening 17 verses this evening. Acts chapter 18. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Greeks, Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshipper of God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you. Because I have many people in this city. Paul stayed for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him into court. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to the Jews, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So we had them ejected from the court. Then they all turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue ruler, and beat him in front of the court. But Gallio showed no concern whatever. But may the Lord be pleased to bless that portion of his word, as we'll be looking at it shortly. I'm sure you'll agree with me this evening that life is a challenge. Certainly the Christian life is a challenge. At whatever age we are, and whatever our experience has been of a walk with God, 
the challenge to stand firm on the truth of God's word. That's something that's uh, certainly been uh, something that we've had to do in the church here over the years in terms of doctrine and belief. It's certainly happening in uh, many churches and established church, particularly at this time, to stand firm on the truth of God's word. But it's also a challenge to be faithful in testimony, despite opposition. So, as we see Paul leave Athens and arrive at Corinth, let's not think that Paul, in leaving Athens with some encouragement, mentioned in the last verse of that 17th chapter of a man and a woman and a number of others who came to faith, not a great number, but a small number, so we could think of this as, a, as the beginning of a, a small company of believers there in Athens. Uh, let's not think that Paul was not fearful and not trembling as he made his way then from Athens, uh, oh, straight to land, maybe 37 miles. Uh, I looked at the recent map, if you were traveling there today, 51 miles uh, distance, take about an hour and six minutes, probably took him longer than that. Uh, to uh, now the capital city of the then Roman province of Achaia. We know when uh, Paul uh, came to Philippi, he was in Macedonia. Come over to Macedonia and help us. That was the vision he received of that man. Well, uh, he's been in Macedonia, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea. And now, uh, in that last part of the 17th chapter, he's moved into Achaia. But now he's actually in the capital of the province of Achaia, the city of Corinth. Now we know he found it a challenge. It's confirmed by his own words. Paul writes two letters to the believers at Corinth, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. In his first letter in chapter 2 and verse 2, we read this. He certainly was fearful. Oh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3. I came to you, he says, in weakness and fear and with much trembling. And with much trembling. So Paul's testimony is, it wasn't easy. He was going to the capital city of Achaia. But Paul was also, we know, resolved and determined to preach the gospel there. It was a challenge, but he was going to stand on the faith, for the faith, and he was going to remain faithful, and the challenge of being faithful, he would continue to do. We read of Paul there in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 2, I resolved to know nothing while I was among you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that's exactly where he began in Athens as well. When he, uh, there, before he came to the Areopagus, he was uh, speaking in the synagogue. And then when he did come to the, that place of Concord where everybody was meeting and able to listen to him, he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. Now let's have a look for a moment then at this uh, city of Corinth. The old city of Corinth, uh, had been destroyed by the Romans in 146 BC, as the Greek Empire declined and the Roman Empire came into ascendancy, the battles took place, Alexander the Great's Empire was breaking up, and the Romans 
destroyed the old city of Corinth, 146 BC. And then about a hundred years after that, one of the first Caesars, probably the, the one we can always name if we're asked, Julius Caesar, Julius Caesar re-established a city in Corinth, 46 BC. It was a city now, a commercial city. It, it had this uh, uh, fortunate position geographically uh, to be uh, on an isthmus so that you could go each side uh, of, of where it was. So uh, there were two seaports. One gave you access to the Adriatic Sea, one side. The other would give you access to the Aegean Sea, two parts then, and then you're coming into the larger Mediterranean Sea. So it became a, a commercial center, two seaports rivaling Athens. Also, there was great wisdom and knowledge there, uh, and so we could boast in that regard. Perhaps Athens is known as the intellectual center. Well, Corinth was the commercial center. And not only that, but um, on some mountains nearby, there was a temple, a temple to the goddess of love, Aphrodite or Venus, uh, as she was also known. And uh, that again, a, a place of much sexual immorality, all that went with that cult. And so uh, it's pos uh, possible to, to speak of, uh, of being Corinthianized, that is uh, being in one sense uh, brought into a slave trade of some sort of nature. And, uh, and this was a, a common practice. So many sailors, seafaring men, back and forth, commercially, you could see the whole state of the place. Cosmopolitan, different nations, different people there, but such great challenges. As great as a challenge as any great city today, when you think of bringing the gospel to a, to a city and you think it's impossible impossible to even penetrate in it. Look, uh, they're so materialistic in their commercialism. They, 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 they're so, in one sense, absorbed in the things of the flesh. It's How are we ever going to begin? It's such a challenge. Where do we begin? Well, I think Paul felt like that. He came with, with trembling. He came with fear. And yet God graciously helped him and assisted him. And that's what we're going to look at, uh, begin to look at this evening. Uh, we can understand the challenges Paul was facing then. It could feel it was overwhelming. But what we read in this passage uh, are of encouragements that the Lord placed in Paul's way to help him uh, there in Corinth. Certainly, we can think of uh, a wonderful vision uh, that Paul had in verses 9 and 10. But well before that, that encouragement of a direct word from God... Let's consider, first of all, that he was helped through the providential dealings that were taking place in the life of a man and a woman, a married couple, who had recently arrived in Corinth. So, Paul was helped through a married couple. We look at that firstly. And then, secondly, uh, he was reunited with his co-workers. Because as we noticed, the last time that uh, both Silas and Timothy were mentioned was back uh, at the end of verse uh, 15 uh, of the 17th chapter before Paul arrived in Athens. He arrives in Athens and he gives instruction that Silas and Timothy for him, for them to join him as soon as possible. 
And it's quite possible that while he was in Athens, he, he batted there alone. He batted there without the help of his co-workers. But now he's restored. The co-workers are restored to him. And those two elements are, are an encouragement to Paul as he faces the challenge. And we can look at this then as not only then uh, moving on, although we won't have time to consider it tonight in verse 8, there was a significant conversion. He was the synagogue ruler. And he and his family turned to Christ. And that was uh, made a big impact there uh, amongst the Jewish population there, the minority of uh, population certainly in Corinth. And then strengthened by the words of promise of the Lord Jesus in that vision. And we certainly know uh, it is the Lord Jesus because certainly some of our Bibles have red print and it's only the words of Jesus that appear in red when they are. But he's referred to as the Lord. He's referred to as the Lord and it's the Lord Jesus who speaks to him. So the two points then this evening, this uh, encouragement from uh, the the uh, a, a meeting of a of a married couple and the co-workers and then and to see uh, the Lord working in that. We sometimes are looking for the big events, aren't we? The big happenings. But the Lord is always working to encourage his people in the little things. Well, this married couple, the man, he was a Jew, we read. He'd originally been living in uh, Pontus. That's modern-day northern Turkey, uh, uh, south of the Black Sea. And he, with his wife, had been living in Rome capital city of the empire until very very recently aquila and priscilla as they're called uh, are mentioned four times in this chapter chapter 18 what is very very interesting when you think perhaps as so many people tell you about this patriarchal society male dominated society and church life and right it's interesting Aquila and Priscilla are mentioned four times in Acts chapter 18. We've mentioned the first one here uh, in verse 2. A Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come with his wife Priscilla. But the other three references, and we haven't time to look at them in detail, but I'll give you the verse numbers now, verse 18 and verse 19 and verse 26. They all refer to Priscilla and Aquila. Not Aquila and Priscilla, Priscilla and Aquila. And that's very, very interesting. Very interesting. Now, some commentators suggest, well, uh, obviously then Priscilla, uh, her name can be translated as ancient or venerable, uh, that she was perhaps a member of a noble, uh, venerable, ancient family. So Aquila had married into a nobility, sort of, sort of, so to speak. And so although he's mentioned first as the husband, in reality the, the most important member of that married couple was Priscilla. There might have been wealth there as well uh, as, as nobility and, uh, and, and being venerated perhaps and uh, thought highly of uh, in whatever community as she spoke about her uh, origins and her, and her roots and her ancestors. But there are others who say, well, no, uh, it might well be that. But also as well, when you begin to read about uh, this couple, it's very, very clear that uh, it was her readiness to serve the Lord and to prayerfully be concerned for the progress of the kingdom uh, that made her stand out. 
uh, she equally contributed uh, with her husband to the work uh, that they were involved in. And that's certainly the case when we come to the end of chapter 18, when they both assist uh, a young man who becomes a good preacher called Apollos. And we also know from the details, uh, although details are sparse, we've got no details, but we've certainly are told of the statement at the end of Romans chapter 16, there's a list of people that Paul wishes to, to, to send greetings to, and he's thankful for some of them as well. In Romans chapter 16 and verse 3, he again, Priscilla, and again, his name first, Priscilla, name first, Priscilla and Aquila, Paul recounts them uh, how he, how they certainly risked their lives. That's what he says. Romans 16 verse 3, no details is given. Was this when they were in Corinth? Was this when they were in Ephesus? Uh, we don't read of it in the Acts of the Apostles, but at some point, this couple risked their lives for Paul's sake, and he was forever indebted and thankful, full of gratitude to them, and he mentions it very, very clearly. Now, that's the background. So this is this couple, and they've, they've come to, to, um, to Corinth. Now, the reason they've come to Corinth is a is a, a sad story. It ends up to be an encouragement for Paul that he meets this couple, and they begin this work of the challenge of bringing the gospel to to Corinth. But in their own personal life, up to that point, they they'd known discouragement, they'd been disheartened, they'd faced a setback, and the setback was simply this: that being Jews. They had been made to leave the capital city, Rome, by an edict that had been passed by another emperor, Emperor Claudius. Claudius was emperor from 41 to 54 AD. And the edict can be dated to 49 AD. And he expelled all the Jews from Rome. Now again, there's discussion as to what the reason was for that. But certainly there are those who quote Suetonius, uh, a philosopher, and he says what, what it was, there were those who were Jews, but they were Christians as well. And as a result of believing in Christ and stirring up a, a little bit of a difficulty there or expressing their faith, uh, they were uh, decided they were becoming a problem and they were expelled. Now, some would say, well, how can that be? Because uh, Paul hasn't even come to Rome yet. It, it's at the end of the Acts of the Apostles that Paul comes to Rome. But we must never think that, 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 that some places never heard the gospel until Paul got there. You go back to uh, the early chapters of the Acts of the Apostles, uh, chapter 2, we're on the day of Pentecost there, and there are a number of people, a number of folk who are mentioned. Uh, I can refer you to Acts chapter 2, and uh, particularly verse, uh, verse 10, that there were people there on that day of Pentecost who heard probably Peter preach as well, from various countries, Libya, Cyrene, and visitors from Rome. But we're not saying that uh, this couple were visitors visiting Jerusalem at that time, but we can understand how the faith 
uh, amongst the Jewish people who uh, heard the gospel, perhaps many of them heard the gospel through Peter, that there was a company of believers there. And, and for whatever reason, there'd been agitation, uh, could have been opposition as well there. And so they now are all asked, along with others as well, to, to leave the capital city. Leave their home, leave their livelihood, leave what they thought was perhaps the, the, the planned life for them. And yet, although it was a setback for them, it turned out to be an encouragement for Paul as he sought and faced the challenge of bringing the gospel to Corinth. A setback for them, but it was someone else's encouragement somewhere else. Now let's make some points of application immediately. If you're a married, uh, part of a married couple uh, this evening, are you both as concerned? Are you both as involved? Are you both engaged in the work of the kingdom? Others say, you see, you have Aquila and Priscilla. Um, well, uh, well, who could you say? I can think of a couple, uh, even today, uh, 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 who played a big part in the church here in the early days. And... Uh, I find myself, sometimes I mention the husband first, uh, and then the wife, and then other times I mention the wife first, and then the husband. Now, there are others, perhaps, who I've been introduced to, and I always remember them, either the wife first and the husband second, or the husband. But, but this couple, I've got to say, I can do both. I can do both of them. It seems to flow, naturally. And the reason is, they were both hearty and fully involved in the work of the kingdom. One was pulling in this direction, the other was pulling in the same direction, both involved, both committed, and we certainly miss them when they, when they left. Now, is that the case with you? Can I ask that question? Are you concerned and are you both equally involved in the work of the kingdom? And then perhaps to, to someone perhaps who say, well, I'm, I'm not in that relationship of being in a, a married couple, but in one sense it's, this applies have you experienced setbacks in your life? Which, although difficult and uprooting you from perhaps what you thought was, would be the, uh, the outlying uh, sort of significance of your life, uh, that having had that experience, that it led on, or is in the process of leading you on, to become a blessing and an encouragement to others somewhere else, as it certainly was to Paul here. Another interesting point, before we move on from this couple, is that they shared this common interest, not only in gospel work with the Apostle Paul, but in work experience. Uh, both uh, the couple, plus Paul as well, were involved in the skill of tent making. Probably with leather, as uh, the others do suggest, uh, goat's hair. There was this Sicilian, which came from Sicilia, which was goat's hair, and you could make garments out of that. Uh, sometimes it was tents. And waterproof, waterproofing. So that was quite an, uh, an important part. And certainly uh, Paul uh, went to see them. Uh, he was introduced to them. Uh, he stayed with them. And also as well then he became part of the, the working team. So it seemed that during the days of the week he was involved in assisting them in this uh, business that they were setting up. But also then that on, the, on the Sabbath day he was able to spend time uh, reasoning, we read, uh, in the synagogue spending time uh, explaining the gospel uh, as clearly as he could. 
So he had help. And he discusses, he reasons, he debates, uh, and he seeks to educate Jews and God-fearing Greeks in the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies in relation to the promise of the Messiah. The promise also of, of forgiveness of sins through the life of Jesus Christ, and especially then his death upon the cross and that hope of resurrection. And so passages like Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22 would certainly have been passages that Paul would have clearly expounded. He would have opened them up and explained them to those who were willing to listen. So that's an encouragement to think again that uh, Paul was able to be assisted in this task. Although in the week he seemed to have concentrated on the business, trying to establish that, and then on the Sabbath day he was able to play this part. So early beginnings, small starts. And sometimes we think, well, unless we're coming in blazing guns all wonderful straight away, big mission and that. No, the little things. Speaking to one or two people. And they hear the gospel and they come to faith. And then they've got a relation and they speak to them. And slowly and surely, and it happens slowly. It's a build-up of, of the work of the kingdom. That's what we're seeing here in Corinth. There's no great bus arriving with slogans on the, on the side of it. No, no great aeroplane coming over with a, with a banner uh, declaring something. No, it's just normal life, working life, going to the synagogue, explaining the gospel. Great encouragement to us all uh, as we seek to, to face the challenge of the gospel today. Now, secondly, uh, from verse 5, we can speak of the encouragement that Paul faced when the co-workers returned, we read in verse 5, When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. As we said, the last reference we had to Paul and uh, Timothy and Silas was back uh, there uh, in Berea. He stayed, they stayed on there. Uh, Paul was escorted safely uh, away from Berea because of opposition as it happened in Thessalonica as well, and he arrives on his own in Athens. And then Paul, uh, Silas and Timothy are asked to join him as soon as possible. Now, we don't know the length of time uh, that that took, but their arrival uh, not only brought now a few extra pairs of hands, which it certainly did, but commentators suggest as well uh, that what was brought was additional resources, financial resources, from where? Well, from the believers in Macedonia. That could include Philippi, uh, Acts 16. It could include Thessalonica and Berea, uh, those places he visited recorded in Acts 17. And because then these financial resources were brought, uh, that released Paul now then to, to no longer have to concentrate with um, Aquila and Priscilla on the, on the business enterprise that they were involved in, so that he could now be released to be fully involved and engaged with speaking to people about the gospel. And that's clearly what is understood by what we have in the NIV, the word exclusively. Exclusively. That he was then able to, to speak uh, about these things in this manner. Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching and testifying that Jesus was the Christ. Now, it can refer as well to the point we've already made, that the main point of what Paul was doing when he was preaching was speaking about Jesus Christ. And we've mentioned this on numerous occasions. The gospel is about Jesus Christ 
and him crucified, as Paul writes to the Corinthians later on. And so, in one sense, to say that he exclusively concentrated on Jesus Christ, in one sense, we, we know we would have done that. I think there is a sense that he was able now to spend more time doing that as a result of the resources that the co-workers brought with them. It's clear then that the main message was Jesus the Messiah, who was the promised one and the deliverer who had come to rescue. And as this witness uh, continued, again we notice, as had happened previously, opposition began to develop. Opposition arose. And in one sense, this is something that we can understand, that uh, uh, when, when a work begins, it begins small, and then as it becomes, uh, comes under the hand of God, and there's, uh, there's blessing, and there's conversion, and there's change in life, and change in homes, then there are those who are not happy with it. We've seen it before, and we'll certainly see it uh, in Ephesus. Vested interest then begins to speak, uh, because it's uh, challenging their, their, their control uh, of, of certain things. And so what happens was this, the opposition began to develop and uh, we read of abuse. Now, uh, certainly it would have been verbal abuse, probably in the discussions in the synagogue, uh, and it could well have begun to develop into physical uh, abuse. And so what normally happened when this uh, situation occurred was that Paul would have to make the decision to pack his bags and move on. Otherwise, if he stayed there, he could well lose his life. So it was time he had a, a, some sort of plan. It always uh, was very flexible because the Lord was leading him. Sometimes he wanted, had a plan to go somewhere, but he'd be led around a different way. We know that certainly happened with, uh, with, with Philippi. He wanted to go into uh, modern-day Turkey, but he, he wasn't able to do that. But he will eventually get there because uh, after Corinth, it's, it's Ephesus, and Ephesus is Turkey. So he'll get there, but it was a different way around. Philippi, uh, Thessalonica, and Berea before that. So what we have here in verse 6 then is something that the Jews would normally do to express their unhappiness. And this is what Paul does. Because of this opposition, what Paul does, he, he, it's this um, sort of outward act of shaking his clothes. Shaking his clothes, almost as shaking the dust off. And then this statement that, that, that he makes... Uh, your blood be on your own heads. I am clear of my responsibility. Now the Jews understood that they knew this is a quotation from the Old Testament. This is the quotation uh, that, that's found in the prophet Ezekiel. Chapter 33, verses 3 and 4. Uh, it was the chapter on the watchman. What was the watchman's responsibility? Well, he was on the wall uh, watching through the night. He was there to watch out in case the enemy came. And if the enemy were approaching, he was to give warning to the people. And then, having given them the warning, they were responsible to do what was necessary, uh, either to flee or to make themselves secure. And the responsibility of the watchman was to warn. If the enemy approached and he didn't warn, then the watchman himself would have the blood of those people on his head. He would be held accountable and responsible. But if he'd given the warning, and then the people refused to listen, well, then he could say, your blood is on your own head. I am clear of my responsibility. Now, if you think about it, uh, surely this is the work of a gospel preacher. And this is why sometimes uh, a gospel preacher is not always 
is not always favored. He's not always uh, welcomed. Because they know if he's going to stick to his task and he's going to stand for the truth and he's going to be faithful to God's word, he has to preach the gospel. And in that, there is accountability for the way we live and the way we act. Sometimes it's done on an individual basis. I've certainly had conversations with people where I've had to show them the scriptures and they've taken offense at me for showing them that. And a, a relationship that might have been good in the past uh, no longer is, is strained and things have never been the same. It's hard and it's difficult. But it's important because otherwise their blood would be on my head. And in this responsibility then with regards to the preaching of the gospel. So that includes as well telling them of accountability, telling them of their responsibility Warning them to flee from the wrath to come. Warning them that they will face judgment if they refuse to turn. Well, again, that can bring opposition and resentment. But you have to do it, and Paul was on that point where he had certainly done it there in the synagogue, and he was then able to say very clearly, your blood is on your own heads. You now are responsible. You have decided to reject this message. You are refusing the Christ. He is the only remedy. You're turning your back on him. Not on, only on me. You're turning your back on the only way of salvation. I am now clear of my responsibility. And then he goes on to say, For now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Now we're not to read in that, that from now on Paul would never preach the gospel to Jews ever again. He's talking about the situation in Corinth. As a matter of fact, when you, when you come to uh, uh, his next visit in, in Ephesus, where do you find him? In the synagogue. Right? But what he's saying here is this. If they reject it, there are others who will receive it. Isn't this is what is happening today? You're hearing wonderful stories. You have to go downstairs, have a cup of tea with us. Uh, there's pictures on the walls of uh, scores of people who've been baptized, uh, 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 come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in Papua New Guinea. Pictures of them there, singles and their names as well. Scores of them. This is uh, similarly this happening in northern India. They, they go out, uh, nothing planned, they go out uh, together uh, and a little meeting takes place and people are baptized in the river. And whereas the West and Wales and the United Kingdom by and large is rejecting the gospel, ridiculing the message. The responsibility, they're taking the responsibility of turning away from it, but God is still building his church elsewhere. And this is exactly what uh, Paul is talking about here, that he says, from now on I will go to the Gentiles, and this is exactly what happens here. So, those verses are very clearly understood if there is rejection. But again, we have seen again how a setback leads to a new opportunity. Now, previously, when this would happen, Paul would pack his bags and he'd have to leave. On this occasion, well, he does move, but he moves next door. This is what we read. He leaves the synagogue and we read Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshipper of God. Now, did this man come to faith in the synagogue as he was listening to 
to Paul. That could well have been the case. Had that been the case, was he then like Lydia, as we read of her in Acts chapter 16, who said to Paul, if you consider me a believer, come and stay in my house. Now, in that instance, Paul stayed there with Lydia, lived there with Lydia, and they used it as the base uh, for that, the beginning of that early church uh, in, in, in Philippi. But here, uh, probably Paul is still living with Ananias and Sapphira, but this man now is opening his home up as a place of meeting for further instruction for himself and for any others who, uh, along with Paul, uh, now would feel that they can no longer attend the synagogue in Corinth because of the opposition. So the message isn't going to sort of be silenced. He's going to continue preaching the gospel, but it's in another building, another place. The point of application as we close is this. Let me ask, are you a co-worker this evening? Are you able in some way to alleviate some of the heavy duties and responsibilities that fall on church leaders? Uh, Would you come on a rotor? Would you help with some of the activities in the week? Are you willing perhaps to pray earnestly? Are you willing to work eagerly? Are you willing to look expectantly for God to work amongst us? Secondly, If you have come to faith, how ready are you to identify yourself with God's people? Could you open your home, uh, perhaps to invite others there to hear the gospel? Well, these are the practical applications of these first uh, seven verses, and we'll need to return to consider uh, what took place there, uh, as certainly this significant individual came to faith, uh, Crispus and his family, and then uh, the way that the Lord encouraged Paul and what he told him, uh, not to be silent, but to continue to preach. We need to return to that again. Well, may God bless his word to our hearts this evening.